Section 46 of the Letters of Madame de Sévigné to her daughter and friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Letters to Monsieur de Coulanges. Footnote. Philippe Emmanuel de Coulanges, Master of the Requests, so well known for his wit, humour, and the singular talent he had for a jovial song. He was first cousin to Madame de Sévigné. Back to main text. From 1670 to 1696. Letter 1. Paris, Monday, December the 15th, 1670. I'm going to tell you a thing the most astonishing, the most surprising, the most marvellous, the most miraculous, the most magnificent, the most confounding, the most unheard of, the most singular, the most extraordinary, the most incredible, the most unforeseen, the greatest, the least, the rarest, the most common, the most public, the most private till today, the most brilliant, the most enviable. In short, a thing of which there is but one example in past ages, and that not an exact one either. A thing that we cannot believe at Paris. How then will it gain credit at Lyon? A thing which makes everybody cry, Lord have mercy upon us. A thing which causes the greatest joy to Madame de Rohan and Madame d'Autrive. Reader's note. Joy from seeing a royal lady marrying below her rank as they had done. Back to main text. A thing in fine which is to happen on Sunday next. When those who are present will doubt the evidence of their senses. A thing which, though it is to be done on Sunday, yet perhaps will not be finished on Monday. I cannot bring myself to tell it to you. Guess what it is. I give you three times to do it in. What? Not a word to throw at a dog? Well then, I find I must tell you. Monsieur de Lausanne is to be married next Sunday at the Louvre. Footnote, Antonius Nompa de Comment, Marquis de Puyguem, afterward, Duc de Lausanne, back to main text. To pray guess to whom? I give you four times to do it in. I give you six. I give you a hundred. Says Madame de Coulanges, it's really very hard to guess. Perhaps it is Madame de la Valliere. Indeed, madame, it is not. It is Mademoiselle de Retz, then. No, nor she neither. You are extremely provincial. Lord bless me, say you, what stupid wretches we are. It is Mademoiselle de Colbert all the while. Nay, now you are still further from the mark. Then it must certainly be Mademoiselle de Crequy. You have it not yet. Well, I find I must tell you at last. He is to be married next Sunday at the Louvre, with the King's leave, to Mademoiselle, Mademoiselle de, Mademoiselle de, guess, pray guess her name. He is to be married to Mademoiselle, the great Mademoiselle, Mademoiselle, daughter to the late Monsieur. Footnote, Gaston of France, Duke of Orléans, 
brother to Louis the Thirteenth, back to main text. Mademoiselle, granddaughter of Henry the Fourth, Mademoiselle du, Mademoiselle de Dombe, Mademoiselle de Montpensier, Mademoiselle d'Orléans, Mademoiselle, the king's cousin German, Mademoiselle destined to the throne, Mademoiselle the only match in France that was worthy of Monsieur. What glorious matter for talk! If you should burst forth like a bedlamite, say we have told you a lie, that it is false, that we are making a jest of you, and a pretty jest it is, without wit or invention. In short, if you abuse us, we shall think you quite in the right. For we have done just the same things ourselves. Farewell. You will find by the letters you received by this post, whether we tell you truth or not, Letter 2, Paris, Friday, December the 19th, 1670. What is called falling from the clouds happened last night at the Tuileries, but I must go further back. You have already shared in the joy, the transport, the ecstasies of the princess and her happy lover. It was just as I told you. The affair was made public on Monday. Tuesday was passed in talking, astonishment and compliments. Wednesday, Mademoiselle made a deed of gift to Monsieur de Lausanne, investing him with certain titles, names and dignities necessary to be inserted in the marriage contract which was drawn up that day. She gave him then, till she could give him nothing better, four duchies. The first was that of Camp which entitles him to rank as first peer of France, the Dukedom of Montpensier, which title he bore all that day, the Dukedom de Saint-Fageau, and the Dukedom of Châteauroux, the whole valued at 22 millions of livres. The contract was then drawn up, and he took the name of Montpensier. Thursday morning, which was yesterday, Mademoiselle was in expectation of the king signing the contract, as he'd said he'd do, but about seven o'clock in the evening, the queen, monsieur, and several old dotards that were about him, had so persuaded his majesty that his reputation would suffer in this affair, that sending for Mademoiselle and monsieur de Lausanne, he announced to them, before the prince, that he forbade them to think any further of this marriage. Reader's Note Objections not only from several old dotards, but most effectively from Lausanne's enemy, Madame de Montespan, who desired Mademoiselle's vast inheritance for her children. For his outbursts against Madame de Montespan, Lausanne was imprisoned in the fortress of Pignerol in Italy for ten years, when he finally consented to renounce the lands granted to him by Mademoiselle. Back to main text. Monsieur de Lausanne received the prohibition with all the respect, submission, firmness, and at the same time despair that could be expected in so great a reverse of fortune. As for Mademoiselle, she gave a loose to her feelings and burst into tears, cries, lamentations, and the most violent expressions of grief. She keeps her bed all day long and takes nothing within her lips but a little broth. What a fine dream is here! What a glorious subject for a tragedy or romance, but especially talking and reasoning eternally. 
This is what we do, day and night, morning and evening, without end, and without intermission. We hope you will do the same. E fra tanto vi bacio le mani. And with this, I kiss your hand. Letter 3, Paris, Wednesday, December the 24th, 1617. You are now perfectly acquainted with the romantic story of Mademoiselle and Monsieur de Lausanne. It is a story well adapted for a tragedy and in all the rules of the theatre. We laid out the acts and scenes the other day. We took four days instead of four and twenty hours, and the piece was complete. Never was such a change seen in so short a time. Never was there known so general an emotion. You certainly never received so extraordinary a piece of intelligence before. Monsieur de Losa behaved admirably. He supported his misfortune with such courage and intrepidity, and at the same time showed so deep a sorrow, mixed with such profound respect, that he's gained the admiration of everybody. His loss is doubtless great, but then the king's favour, which he has by this means preserved, is likewise great, so that upon the whole his condition does not seem so very deplorable. Mademoiselle, too, has behaved extremely well on her side. She has wept much and bitterly, but yesterday for the first time she returned to pay her duty at the Louvre, after having received the visits of everyone there, so the affair is all over. Adieu. Letter 4, Paris, Wednesday, December the 31st, 1670. I have received your answers to my letters. I can easily conceive the astonishment you were in at what passed between the 15th and 20th of this month. The subject called for it all. I admire likewise your penetration and judgment in imagining so great a machine could never support itself from Monday to Sunday. Modesty prevents my launching out in your praise on this head because I said and thought exactly as you did. I told my daughter on Monday... This will never go on as it should till Sunday. I will wager, notwithstanding this wedding seems to be sure, that it will never come to a conclusion. In effect, the sky was overcast on Thursday morning, and about ten o'clock, as I told you, the cloud burst. That very day I went about nine in the morning to pay my respects to Mademoiselle, having been informed that she was to go out of town to be married and that the coadjutor of Reims was to perform the ceremony. Footnote, Charles-Maurice de Tellier, back to main text. These were the resolves on Wednesday night, but matters have been determined otherwise at the Louvre ever since Tuesday. Mamsel was writing. She made me place myself on my knees at her bedside. She told me to whom she was writing and upon what subject and also of the fine presents she had made the night before, and the titles she had conferred. And as there was no match in any of the courts of Europe for her, she was resolved, she said, to provide for herself. She related to me word for word a conversation she'd had with the king, and appeared overcome with joy to think how happy she should make a man of merit. She mentioned with a great deal of tenderness the worth and gratitude of Monsieur de Lausanne. To all which I made her this answer. Upon my word, mademoiselle, 
Your Highness seems quite happy, but why was not this affair finished at once last Monday? Do you not perceive that the delay will give time and opportunity to the whole kingdom to talk, and that it is absolutely tempting God and the King to protract an affair of so extraordinary a nature as this to so distant a period? She allowed me to be in the right, but was so sure of success that what I said made little or no impression on her at the time. She repeated the many amiable qualities of Monsieur de Lausanne and the noble house he was descended from, to which I replied in these lines of Cornet's Polyuctus. Du moins, on ne la peut blâmer de mauvais choix, polyucte a du nom et sort du son des rois. Her choice of him, no one can surely blame, who springs from kings and boasts a noble name. Reader's note, it was a conceit of the House of Comor that they were descended from the kings of Scotland, back to main text, upon which she embraced me tenderly. Our conversation lasted above an hour. It is impossible to repeat all that passed between us, but I may without vanity say that my company was agreeable to her, for her heart was so full that she was glad of any one to unburden it to. At ten o'clock she devoted her time to the nobility who crowded to pay their compliments to her. She waited all the morning for news from court, but none came. All the afternoon she amused herself with putting Monsieur de Montpensier's apartment in order, which she did with her own hands. You know what happened at night. The next morning, which was Friday, I waited upon her and found her in bed. Her grief redoubled at seeing me. She called me to her, embraced me, and whelmed me with tears. Ah, said she, you remember what you said to me yesterday? What foresight, what cruel foresight. In short, she made me weep to see her weep so violently. I have seen her twice since. She still continues in great affliction, but behaves to me as to a person that sympathises with her in her distress, in which she is not mistaken, for I really feel sentiments for her that are seldom felt for persons of such superior rank. This, however, is between us two and Madame de Coulanges, for you are sensible that this chit-chat would appear ridiculous to others. Letter 5. The Rocks January the 8th, 1690 What a melancholy date my amiable cousin compared with yours. It suits a recluse like me, and that of Rome suits one whose fate it is to wander uncontrolled, and, quote, who stalks his idleness from one end of the world to the other, unquote. What a happy life. And how mildly has fortune treated you, as you say, notwithstanding her quarrel with you, always beloved, always esteemed, always carrying joy and pleasure along with you, always the favourite of and fascinated with some friend of consequence, a duke, a prince, or a pope, for I'll add the Holy Father by way of novelty, always in good health, never at the charge of anyone, no business, no ambition, but above all, the advantage of not growing old. 
this is the height of felicity you doubt sometimes whether you are not advancing by certain calculations of time and years but old age is still at a distance you do not approach it with horror as some persons i could name this is reserved for your neighbour and you have not even the fears that are usually felt at seeing a fire in your neighbourhood in short after mature reflection i pronounce you the happiest man in the world this last journey to rome is in my opinion the most delightful adventure that could have happened to you with an adorable ambassador the duc de chon on a noble and grand occasion and a visit to the beautiful mistress of the world whom having once seen we are always longing to see again i very much like the verses you have made on her she cannot be too highly celebrated i am sure my daughter will approve them they are well written and poetical we sing them i am delighted with what you tell me of paulina whom you saw at grignon in your way i have judged most favourably of her from your praises and the unaffected letter you wrote to madame de chaune which she sent to me how much i should like to take a journey to rome as you propose but then it must be with the face and air I had many years ago, and not with those I now have. A woman, particularly, should not move her old bones except to be ambassadress. I believe that Madame de Coulanges, though still young, is of the same opinion. But in my youth I should have been in raptures with such an adventure. It is not the same with you. Everything becomes you enjoy then your privilege and the jealousy you excite to know who shall be favoured with you i will not waste my time in arguing with you on the present state of affairs all the duke's prosperities have given no real joy you fear precisely what all his friends apprehend that being the only one who can fill the place he holds with equal success and reputation he will be kept in it too long the apartment in your new palace creates new alarms, but let us do better. Let us not anticipate evils. Rather, let us hope that everything will happen as we wish, and that we shall all meet again at Paris. I was delighted with your remembrance, your letter and your songs. Write to me whenever it is agreeable and convenient. I take the liberty of sending this by the ambassadress, and I do more, my dear cousin, for under her protection I take the liberty of embracing my dear Governor of Brittany and His Excellency the Ambassador with real affection, and without offence to respect. These high dignities do not intimidate me. I am sure he still loves me. God bless him, and bring him back again. These are my wishes for the new year. Adieu, my dear cousin, I embrace you. Continue to love me, I wish it. It is my whim, and to love you more than you love me. But you are very amiable, and I must not place myself on a par with you. End of section 46